welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome to episode 144. This is Sheldon Grant from Panoramic Outdoors. Today's episode is brought to us by Heritage Co-op, who proudly serve Minnesota, Brandon, Wawanisa, Erickson, Sandy Lake, Strathclair, and Rivers for over 90 years. If you're looking to get out in the ice, go camping, winter camping, or doing whatever you're doing this winter, check out Co-op, get your fuel, get your food there. They support us, so let's support them. So thanks a lot to Co-op and everyone involved with them. Today we have all three amigos on the podcast. I'm super happy to announce that and introduce them one at a time but chase you're up you're up first what's going on over there hey man just uh just trying to make some some plans over here for uh march madness pretty much we're uh on the heels of winter hopefully knock on wood uh last little cold snap here in southern manitoba anyways and um i haven't gone out to do a whole bunch of fishing yet this this year um but i am looking to hit the ice in march and and uh get some fresh walleye on the dinner plate so um just kind of looking forward to that right now what about yourself oh man i've been doing a little bit of fishing a little bit of uh a little bit of fishing as much as i can the long weekend there i took my dad out kind of for his birthday we hit lake manitoba um we had a little bit of problem <laughs> a whole bunch of problems as i can get into it maybe a different story but I ended up doing all right we got uh four, four fish we took home and we cooked one on the ice and caught a few jacks and some perch as well. And it was a good day. It was a good afternoon. So happy, happy to get out on the ice again. Um, the other guy in the, on the podcast, Tristan, what's going on over there? Oh, not too much as usual. Just trying to get out to Lockport on the weekends there to keep my sanity in check, dip a line in. Nothing too hot to report from there. Uh, but no, uh, Sauger bite? Sauger bite, slow down. And honestly, I, I'm shocked, but I haven't caught anything but sauger and the occasional walleye there. I'm surprised I haven't, like, normally Lockport's like a mecca of, like, multi-fish species, but if whatever happens in the winter there, it's just sauger. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the right sauger hole. Something changes, but yeah. Willie's bugging me out to go training again here. I think he's starting to give me that quirk, that kind of squirrely look, so... I have to start thinking about some spring training with him, getting him using his nose, those kind of things. Uh, you know what? You know, I was looking at your buddy, um, Dan. Dan, I was just gonna say, ask if you watch his videos there. Yeah, man, he's he's sure inspiring with what he's doing with those dogs there. So, yeah, it's pretty cool to see. Be, uh, yeah, be, it'd be nice to see, uh, just uh, how his dogs work. And uh, I was thinking of giving him a shelter to see, you can, uh, his hold training looked pretty impressive too, right? Yeah, it's it's uh it's very impressive. And that one dog is very young. So for him to have like both dogs holding while he's throwing and calling them out to go and retrieve, I thought that was really cool because I know quite a few retrievers and it's like they would drag a camper through that yard to go get that, <laughs> that dummy or whatever he was throwing, right? So yeah, yeah that sounds about right. What Absolutely. about the well, I got a okay. I got a quick question to ask you too. What about your Jets? I seen you went to a hockey game with uh, 
with Jameson there. How how is that? Like, have you been following the Jets quite a bit? What's oh like? yeah, oh yeah, of course, because they're they're competing against the stars there. So how could I not follow them? Like, <laughs> we're not going to say where the stars are in in the standings in relation to the Jets, but that that Jets game that I was at, it was against the Seattle Seahawks with Jamie there, and it was probably I would say one of the best Jets games I've ever been to. Let's see how cracking. Yeah, sorry. What did I call them? You're thinking football here, boy. Oh yeah, the cracking. Right. Yeah, sorry, I was still in Super Bowl Seahawks. mode there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, oh, not only did we get o- overtime, but a, a Jets win and shootout was was pretty cool to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. I'm kind of I'm getting nervous because Dallas is number one. Anybody that's listening to the podcast, I do cheer for Dallas right now, or I, I always have, but I also cheer if cheer for the jets you're not from manitoba unless you cheer for the jets but i mean if you know push comes to shove here in the playoffs and if they ever have to face each other i mean my nuts would have to go in a blender before i cheered for winnipeg but we'll uh we'll go with dallas for now chase have you been following what, what, what's gonna happen when uh, i gotta ask sheldon for what's gonna happen sure. when when jb jamie ben retires because i know that's the only reason you like dallas is because you got the hots <laughs> for him <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know what I'm gonna do to be honest. I guess I'll see who the next captain is. But yeah, James, yeah, once he retires, I'll p- probably become a a little bit more of a Winnipeg Jets fan. But until then, he's still got a few years left. Hey, been in the hockey though, eh, Chase? Fun to you. You were brushing shoulders there with some some major players, I think, weren't you? Yeah, weren't you in the big big lights? <laughs> yeah, actually. So um, we did the uh, the Timbits hockey thing at uh, the intermission of the Moose game on sunday and uh i was impressed man there was there was a pretty big crowd to see me come and uh play on the ice there for two minutes (laughs) that i I was out there um jokes aside though i was actually pretty impressed with the with the um the caliber of 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 hockey i mean obviously the that team's just one step down from the jets but but uh it was some uh it was very entertaining to watch and it was you know a good crowd there the kids enjoyed it and uh one thing i did notice was like man there's like i don't think there's any player under six feet on that on that team which is kind of kind of crazy to think about on that timbits team yeah on the timbits (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah no that's uh it's a big boy sport that uh that that ahl is a rough league too eh oh yeah it's so funny they talk about guys going down there to develop their skill, and then you go to the moose game, and guys are just running each other for half the game. <laughs> it's like, holy yeah. shit! Yeah, yeah. Not to say there's not skilled guys down there. It's just like you got to do both if you're gonna crack the the NHL lineup, right? Wow. And that's the thing too. Like Chase is saying, the tall guys in hockey. It's like when you get to that professional level, you either have like the ginormous guys like Chara, or the really like smaller guys like that Gerber or whatever his name was. And like everyone else's average is six, three, you know what I mean? So they, on, on TV, you're like, oh yeah, just like regular. And then you see them in real life and you're like, holy fuck, these guys are huge. Like, I would never want to be on the ice with those guys ever. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's the same thing as, I mean, it's not quite as scary as, as professional baseball, but it's the same thing. Like the Toronto Blue Jays lineup, I think their average height is like six, two as well. Oh, yeah. which is just like insane because and you don't like you said you don't really notice when you're watching it because everyone's just the same height and you know you're used to watching them but it's lots of lots of big fellows in those professional sports yeah 
That was our sports talk from Panoramic Outdoors 2023. There you go. Stay Let tuned us- for, <laughs> for more talks in the next little while. If I you want to make it, yeah. <laughs> eat your Wheaties. Oh. That's a that's funny, man. Um, so funny story. We got one story to tell you guys before we uh well, first I guess we should say that we have a great podcast coming up with Will Sakura, local guy from Westman, talk about mule deer hunting, his uh Tristan, you maybe you can carry the song because I don't even know half the words he said sometimes. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was out uh I guess east or west or depending on which way you go around the globe but he went basically around the globe there to Kajikistan and got hooked up with an ibex hunt funny story as a, you know what i won't give it away but it's a pretty funny story as how he got hooked up onto this thing and uh yeah it's interesting to see because you get a really like i don't know i i feel like you kind of get will does a lot of the same stuff we do where we go out on the weekend hunt and you know he's trying to work a job and have a family at the same time and then you get kind of that perspective into like uh around the globe hunt as to like how do you actually pull this off so yeah I was grateful for will sharing his side there and 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 some deer hunting tips there too as well yeah good good hunt uh good hunter sounds like a good hunter but a good storyteller too like i was right into it listening to some of his stories so stay tuned for that but my my story no. is about how uh What's destination lockport here <laughs> i know hey I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet but i was like uh running late let's say saturday morning i may have stayed up and had a few too many mickelobes because i'm on a diet <laughs> um but anyways so i'm rip, go to the gas station and I'm like oh man i don't have any windshield washer fluid so i go buy a jug and i throw it in there and get going down the road and i'm like pushing my button it's just like meh, meh, and it's like not coming out and i'm like oh my god what did i do so i pulled over popped the hood sure enough i put my windshield washer fluid into my my like um what was it like coolant reservoir no yeah so now i'm like oh like and i'm not mechanically inclined or anything but i'm like holy fuck i think i just fucked my truck so i'm like (laughs) so i phoned my dad and i'm like telling him he's like well how much did you put in i'm like i had just a little bit and he's like oh yeah well he's like if it's just a little bit you know it should burn off I'm like, well, what about if that little bit's an entire jug? And he starts laughing at me. He's like, well, maybe you should figure something out. So I'm like, okay. So I went over to Home Hardware, got a hose, and I siphoned out like pretty much three quarters of a jug or close, just about to a full jug of blue liquid. Wait, so you were you were sucking on this hose to get the coolant out of your... To get the windshield wash fluid out of my coolant reservoir. But yeah. like, presumably they're mixed at this point in time because... Well, the, no, because like, I think you'd have to put on a few miles and get that, that engine running for a while, like in hot for it to circulate so much okay. because it was legit blue liquid coming out. Okay. Yeah. And then when I put like the hose farther down into the reservoir, then I'd get like this, I can't remember what color it was like yellow or whatever color the other liquid was. Yeah, but anyways, I'm sitting in the parking lot freaking sucking on this thing and people are going into home hardware and I'm like spitting because it tastes like alcohol. And I'm like... This is the worst thing ever. <laughs> so anyways, I felt like an idiot. I, I got it all out. And then I called my cousin who's a mechanic and I told him and he started laughing at me and he's like, oh, fuck. He's like, you'll be fine. He said, it'll burn yeah. off. So yeah, don't tell Dodge X. I still won't warranty, but just as long as you don't, yeah, blow up your engine. Ah, it'll over. be good. Yeah. No, you'll be fine. That's fine. I'll just light it on fire. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I think it'll be okay. Good thing you caught it though, because otherwise I would have been stressful. I'm sure. 
Oh yeah. It was stressful at the time too. And then not only that, but I told my dad, I was going to meet him at like whatever, 10 o'clock or whatever it was. And yeah, I think I got there about an hour after. Cause like literally when I was siphoning, it was dripping out like toothpaste comes out of toothpaste container faster. Like it was brutal, but that's my yeah. story for the week. Well, man, uh, to tell you, I guess you learned a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for sharing that with all our listeners and uh, just putting it out there that stuff like that does happen. Yeah. Uh, one thing, Sheldon, I was, I was, you mentioned at the start there, I was glad to hear and we're excited to have co-op on as a partner because I know not only have they been a part of our communities for a long time, but they do some really cool stuff. Like not only do they source a lot of like local stuff for their shelves, but they're actually like Co-op is short for cooperative. I, I don't know if you guys knew that, but uh, a cooperative is like a, uh, it's basically like one of the most democratic ways that you can run a business. Like the, the community actually gets to vote on who's, who's in charge of that business and, or like the, the, the members per se. So if you buy a membership, you get a say in that entire business. So like we're always preaching local and like it's it's awesome to have co-op on board because they're like one of the most local things we could loop in. So that's that's awesome to hear. Well, and the cool thing about it too is just I got two little tidbits here for you that uh, it was established to improve community health and well-being by building places for Western Canadians to come together, build social connections and, and enable community development. And then since 2015, 160 local projects have been supported with $11.5 million in capital funding. So just like you said, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool cooperative. Bingo, bango. Speaking about local too, we got Harvester that's helping us out. And uh, I, I was talking last podcast there. I sent a couple of people there. They're very grateful. And uh, Sean always goes the extra mile. And then I, <laughs> I was in there the next week myself buying a couple of fishing reels. So Got a good deal off that uh, and uh, just got them spooled up and used them this weekend and was happy to be using the quantums on the ice there at a very reasonable price point. So it's almost like one of those worth the trip style kind of situations with Harvester there because yeah, uh, between I was actually in the $5 bait. Yeah, hard to beat. I was talking with Clint uh, who bought his ice shack there off of, uh, off of Sean and uh the, the amount of sales that they have there are, are pretty wild. Like they're not just like your, your average, like 15, 20% off sales. It's like when Sean puts something on sale, it's like 50% off. He wants it out of there. Store. Yeah. Yeah. He's moving stuff. So it's pretty sweet. Um, if you're uh, not following them on, on social media, definitely check them out on Instagram, Facebook, and you can find all those deals there and on their online store or head over to their store in Selkirk. And if you're sick of jigging, you can just buy a commercial net and get it done with. Well, those HT ice tents or HT polar escape tents that we got from through Sean at Harvester. I had that set up. I'm going to quick little, another quick little lockport story for you. We had it all. We were fishing there. Dad caught about three walleye right off the bat, set up the shack, got the heater going in there. Um, got the old, we had a little um, burner cast iron, next fish we caught put it in a little bit of catch and cook threw it in there man is that ever like i don't know i don't know how to explain nostalgia maybe or whatever but like for me and my dad to be back in a spot where we've been probably 20 times before cooking up a little bit of food having a chat mm -hmm. i haven't got to visit with my dad for 
quite a while in the last pretty much since Christmas. And uh, for me and him just to be kind of together cooking up food and stuff, man, it's just like it's one of the best, the best things in the world, you know. Totally. But um, yeah, it was it did, was awesome. Did he buy a hoodie after that? <laughs> no, he still hasn't <laughs> bought a hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> but he can buy the catch and cook. And I'll tell you what, I cooked up a whole schwack of walleye that I'd caught earlier this year for my neighbors. Like oh, yeah. the uh, and they they were raving about the catch. You think? that Josh and Jay had put some illicit substances in that catch and cook because people were absolutely wild about it. So if you it's haven't tried it out, you got to give it a, just a little test. I don't think you'll be disappointed. No. And that's, and the other thing about the catch and cook thing, if anybody's looking to buy some, not only do we have it in our store at www.panoramicoutdoors.com, but we're going to be at the Earth and Outdoor Show April 29th and 30th. And at that show, we're going to have a bit of catch and cook with us. So you can pick it up or, I don't know what we're going to do for sales or anything like that yet, but come see us at that, at that Parkland outdoor show, come to our booth. We'll have some catch and cook. You can pick some up at the booth or even just ask us questions about it. Not only that, but come see us. We got, uh, we'll have some merch on display. There's going to be a lot of cool things happening and it's coming out like daily. So check out their website. It's Parkland outdoor show. Just Google it. It's the first one that pops up and um, yeah, we'll hope to see you there at the end of April. Awesome. Awesome. And then it's dipping low here in Manitoba too. I'm not sure if anyone's been watching the forecast lately, but I just saw you're not up in Thompson anymore, Shelly, but Thompson got like the the whole windshield warning factor, whatever they, they call it in Manitoba here. Yeah. It was like minus 38 or something like that. Entire province is red on the uh, the weather map right now for, the... for uh, windshield warning. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Just... The, the, on the weekend there when i was calling my cousin he lives in thompson the one that helped me with my dilemma with my uh windshield washer fluid but he's like yeah and he's like i'm trying to round up guys who are sledding it's uh pretty cold up here i'm like oh yeah what is it he's like oh minus 38 i'm like oh yeah it's minus 10 here i'm just in a sweater in a parking lot <laughs> he told me to go fuck myself so it was great <laughs> that's funny yeah and if you're trying to stay warm too we'll we always remind folks about the wool of there. They might not, I wouldn't recommend going outside and just the wool of at minus 38, but uh, if you layer it up with it, it it's, it's sure going to make a difference for you. We, we always preach out. If you, if you haven't heard of them, you can check them out at wool.love and uh, use our code panoramic 15. That's going to get you 15% off there. Your, your first order. So I got a, I got a funny story about the wool of. So um, I've been helping coach, uh, my son's hockey there and the uh the small town arenas are we got some pretty nice nice rinks around here they're they're pretty decent but uh, they're you know they're they're pretty chilly especially when you get those minus 30 days throughout the winter they the whatever the the temperature really kind of soaks into the arena and it's it's pretty chilly out on the ice so i wear my wool of every time i go on onto the ice with him and uh i do the full boogie like the the long johns the uh, the long sleeve shirt and the socks um and it's been great for that but uh i went to that moose game the other day and i also wore i think i just did like the long johns and the socks and it's a much different temperature in that uh professional arena oh yeah and it wasn't bad in the seats in the stands it was good but when I got out onto the ice, my feet were literally on fire. 
And there's <laughs> like by the time I got off of that, we were only on the ice for two minutes. My feet were just in a puddle because <laughs> they were so hot out there. I think it was actually warmer on the ice than it was sitting in the stand. So oh, it's kind of funny. funny, but uh good, good in those small town arenas, but uh, don't need it at the at the Jets arena, that's for sure. You know, I was even thinking too. What would be decent is that that toque you could wear under your your helmet on the outdoor. That that uh, wool beanie, yeah, beanie is is thin enough that because I know, like the helmets are not made for the outdoor. I've no. never, and you can't fit a full size toque under it. So I'm gonna try the beanie next next time and see how that works out. Yeah, yeah. that's a great idea because uh, I got asked to go and play in the tournament at the end of March, so I. I'm supposed to be getting out on the outdoor rinks here for skates and i remember well a couple of weeks ago i went out for my first time in a few years skating and i took like 10 steps on and i turned around and came back got my helmet I'm like, like i'm not uh i don't trust myself anymore if it was like 10 years ago i probably wouldn't even wear worn a helmet but now ah safety first safety first yeah well, well speak, speaking of safety first, old Will flipped the safety off a couple times last year, so maybe we should take a listen to Will and the three of us can shut up for a little while. Um, did you do the Panoramic 15 for Wolof? I did, but why don't you remind him one more time there? My bad. Panoramic 15 for 50% off your first order at wool.love. Fired off. Well, today we've got a local guest from Brandon, Manitoba, the Wheat City. Uh, you probably might have seen him on Instagram shooting some nice deer around the southwestern part of the province. But uh, welcome to the show, Will Scora. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Right on. I, it's pretty exciting to have you on. Not only uh, do we chat every once in a while on Instagram, and I'm watching you, you know, uh, harvest some nice animals in the last few years. Um, so now we get to hear some stories, and super pumped about the episode. But before we get to get into it, we got to do the five burning questions, and that's where they cue the music. And then the first question, like I always ask, if you have one uh, last meal, what would you have? And uh, what would you have to drink with it? I'm going to do a prime rib with some potatoes and a Caesar salad. I'm going to be drinking a bourbon, bullet yeah. bourbon on the rocks. Nice. The Tristan's a bourbon guy. It actually, yesterday's five burning questions. Uh, what was the one that came up? Something elk, I think. And uh, Chase and I haven't heard of it, but we're like, oh, Tristan probably knows that one. Do you know an elk one off the top of your head, Tristan? An elk bourbon? Yeah, like the name. There's like elk in the name, I'm pretty sure. I do not. Hmm. I have to Google that. Okay, yeah, well, okay. question number two. <laughs> excuse me. Question number two is um, if you had fuck you money, which Joe Rogan likes to call it, <laughs> what would be the first toy that you'd go buy yourself? Is it a toy or can I, can I go on a hunt or what am I doing? It's no trips. Toy? It's gotta be a toy. It's gotta a be. Toy. A... Okay. Probably buy a side-by-side razor or something like that. Nice. Put some tracks on it. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Full cab. Yeah. yeah. That'd be nice. <clears throat> that bur- yeah. that bourbon's called old elk bourbon. Old I'm elk. I've never okay. had that. That might've been it. That might've been it. Um, my third question for you is kind of like what's on the playlist, but I like to kind of ask it as in, if you go to a concert, uh, who would you be going, like, who would you want to go and watch at a concert? Um, they could be alive or dead. Oh boy. That's a tough one. Mm. The highway man. Nice. That's a good answer. Yeah. That's a really good answer. Well, I'm going to let Tristan ask the last two. 
Who's the best highwayman? This doesn't count as one of my burners. Whalen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, about, so. what about Chris Christopherson? He'd be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I would Sorry. think. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I can only think of like two good songs that he's made, in my opinion, where all the rest of them have just, you know, 30 plus songs that you everyone knows. So true. Very true. Sheldon, are you partial to someone? I'd probably go with probably Waylon too, I think. I mean, I, was, Johnny, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I would have pegged you for Johnny Cash guy. Yeah, I was almost going to say it. I was in the Cat Ad Inns there a couple weeks ago, and you know how they have those like little, uh, you bid for a picture? Right. Oh, yeah. And so they had one of Johnny Cash like playing at San Quentin Prison. And I put in like 20 bucks over the bid and I got it. It's like one of those things where like, <laughs> no way. you're like, oh shit, now I got to pay for it, but it's going to be pretty sweet. So that'd be cool. That it's got like a record on it and stuff too. So yeah. Anyways. Alrighty. And uh, if we're moving on to number four, I, we're, we're in the middle of like a huge cold. Well, I should say huge cold snap. This is our first cold snap basically of the season here, but what's, what's keeping you sane through the cold snap here? Will? with any, any coping strategies? Um, I'm going looking for sheds whenever I can on the weekends, go to work <laughs> all, go, go to work all week. And kind of, by the time you make it home, it's dark. So you can, but on the weekends, I try to make it out. So yeah. So fuck there's a couple of nice white tails that I've been looking at. So, uh, lots of smaller ones have dropped already, but I haven't found any real big ones yet. So mm. That's you're just you're saying f you to mother nature there and just getting. I just guess warm. You're walking around. You're you're warm. If you were to ride around on a sled, it'd be a lot. But when you're walking around, it's not so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, last question here: Are you uh, are you reading or watching anything right now that you uh, that you're you're enjoying? Uh, yeah, we were watching the Yellowstone and that 1923 that the. Um, like the prequel one. I was liking it. It was kind of cool. The guy was doing lots of like African safari hunts and stuff for the thousand eight. And then oh, yeah. they kind of did a, I guess they're taking a couple months hiatus. So I've been watching that last of us show. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. Heard of that one too. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Sheldon's yeah. in Yellowstone. Eh? Yeah. I finished Yellowstone. I tried that 19, was it 23? Um, the new one or that 1883, the one with Samuel. Yeah. No, I watched that one too. Oh yeah, the the nineteen whatever that one. I I watched first episode, then I just haven't had time since. But, um, yeah, I like I like those shows. I like the original Yellowstone is pretty fucking awesome in my opinion. But yeah, I like the I really liked eighteen eighty three. It was kind of like it, it was kind of like Lonesome Dove, but a lot more gorier and intense. It was good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, you made it through the five burning questions and uh, pretty slick, by the way pretty quick pretty slick you must have listened to a few podcast episodes before you got on you, you knew it was coming out already yeah um so yeah how i how we do every podcast and i'm not going to change things up too much is kind of maybe give us a background on how it all started for you in the outdoors um and then we'll get talking about some of the you know your whitetail and your mule deer you've been hunting and some other things but yeah where did it all start for you uh yeah so uh my dad he lives in lac bonnie uh, my parents split when I was younger. So uh, whenever I was with him, we always went fishing when I was younger. Um, yeah, hunting wasn't really something that uh, that I really enjoyed till I was probably like 15, 16, because usually it was just going out with your dad and 
freezing your balls off really it wasn't really that fun (laughs) so um yeah no so lots of fishing around like and it's tough to go from out east or you know you go on those northern ships you guys have done it and then try to go you know fishing at like oak lake rivers or something like that it's just it's tough but uh yeah so i guess my dad got me into it um i never really got into the whole uh like looking for sheds and really trying to hunt trophy bucks i guess till i was probably about 20 but once you start looking for sheds and then like you kind of you get a collection like there's a few deer here where i have you know four years of sheds off them and then you're hunting them it's it, it it's pretty cool it's, yeah. it's pretty cool how you can go to a one area and one of the biggest deer i ever chased after he got shot by a hutter right he went 196 and um like I found his sheds all within like 200 yards. Oh, it's no crazy way. how a deer will just like self-facing slope. Uh, they'll be there. That's where they live. Right. So right. Uh, anyways, I, I got hooked onto that. And over the years, I've gone to lots of conventions and uh, gotten to meet some good people in Saskatchewan and Alberta. And I've really gone like, I've, I went on a cat hunt last year in BC Um went on a ibex hunt in tajikistan this last november so yeah i'm i've got my bucket list of things i want to do and i just don't have enough money to go do all of it but hopefully one day yeah that's cool and then uh you've you've shot some pretty nice deer around like brandon area um and like i I just kind of want to pick your brain quickly about that because i i hunt up around nipua i don't hunt around brandon but um some some years i really find it tricky to find that you know a couple decent bucks to go after until rotten when everything starts moving around but what do you do to kind of target in or zone in on a couple deer like obviously you do some shed hunting to see if they're even alive still but what like what are the things that you kind of put in your game plan shed hunting would be number one um like the biggest whitetail i ever shot i when i shot him in this alfalfa field it was the exact same field where i found a shed and I like looked around and I'm not shitting you. I shot him probably about a hundred yards from where I found his shed. There was a little low spot in this alfalfa field that they're eating in. So, and I find like, as years go by, I, I, I start to rely on trail cameras less because they don't tell the whole story. Um, there's, they, they might see that camera once and they might screw off. Like they, they, they're smart, those big bucks. So, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of didn't answer your question. You said other than shit hunting. So, um, summer scouting is huge. Like to go try to find a big deer in September or October. Um, and even in November, it's not going to happen. They're the most, like the most out there, they're going to be the, the most visible they're going to be is, in a bean field in August or something. So I put lots of miles on in August, just, just glassing. Um, that would be, that would be the big thing. So after that, September and October, I basically just move cameras onto scrapes. Okay. Um, find a bit, like I, I can look down a, a tree line now and in, in a field and I can look at a, a, hanging branch and basically say there's probably going to be a scrape under there so if you go there and it's all pawed down that's a great place to put a camera that's really the only cameras i put out now is on scrapes so 
Well, well, I got a couple of questions for you. Uh, one, are you are you mainly archery hunting? Is that what you're prepping for, or is you do you do gun hunting too? I will hunt with whatever I can at that point in the season. <laughs> That's a very good answer. Okay. It's hard. It's hard enough to uh, like I like maybe I'll get to a point um, where a guy gets a bunch of really big deer on the wall, you know, in 20 years or something, where I'll, I'll say. I just want to bow hunt, but I'm not at that point yet. It's, it's hard to hunt those big deer it's, to, to, to bring it down from whatever, three, 400 yards with your rifle to 20 yards with your bow. You're just handicapping yourself. I respect guys that do it, but I'm not into that yet. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, that, that's a, that's a completely fair and valid answer and also follows every, uh, every guideline that I also advise, but also, um, I was wondering, have you we were talking about scrapes there have you tried making mock scrapes at all and had any success with those yeah i do um so uh basically i just bring a rake if if you find like say if like i said if you find one of those branches hanging out in the field like a licky looking where you you think like oh there's there's gonna be a scrape there and there's not one there it's maybe just too early so what i do is I'll, i'll just rake up the ground um and then usually might sound kind of weird but i usually drink a lot of water before i go and then i piss in it myself right where um like i've used that um uh, tinks or whatever yep. and i had that open in a bag of mine and <laughs> around some clothes yeah, yeah and you will not get that shit off no so um i got bags of cheetos so i like i and and i've read places uh, like people have done studies or whatever that it's like, it smells like ammonia. Like it, it doesn't actually, they can't tell the difference between deer and human. Once yeah, yeah. That's what they say. So I, I know like it's it, people are probably at home thinking what the hell this guy does that, but it works like it deer keep coming back. So drink you know lots of water. Yeah. I, I did the same because I swore it off this year too. I had the same incident happen. It blew up in my bag. I still have Cheetos bags that smell like Tinks 69 or whatever it is. And uh, yeah. So like I, I uh, definitely dropped the trowel once in a while and just did the old uh, hunter, hunter refresh there on the, on the scrape. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should coin the term for that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. It's something better than what I was saying. Sure. <laughs> I want to just kind of go back a few sentences there about uh, the way you scout. Do you like, do you find yourself scouting the same areas? Like, are you hunting the same pieces of land or are you out there in the summer just looking for deer? And if you got to start a new spot, you start a new spot. Like where do you generally find yourself? Um, It usually goes from uh, like using what I learned from shed hunting season as to where deer is. And then I usually just look at what the food sources are. So um, flowering canola, usually they'll hit flowering canola really hard. As soon as the flowers come off, they probably won't touch it until it ripens up a bit. I don't know why, but uh, that's what I've found. Um, And soybeans, uh, nothing beats soybeans. Peas, peas are good. But the thing is, is with peas, they're, they're usually ready to combine by, you know, early to mid August. So you're really not going to be able to, uh, to, to really hone in on that. Anyway, they're going to move off that food source. So, right. um, soybeans is king. 
I shot the, the one buck that I did shoot in velvet with my bow, I shot him in soybeans and he, they, there's there, that's the best time to kill a big deer. In my opinion, I know a lot of guys, they say, Oh, well, I like hard horn. Well, you're going to shoot him during the rut. Then not many guys uh, in Manitoba shoot a big deer during September or October. They're just too smart during that time. Um, guys in Saskatchewan do it, but that's because there's hunting over a bait. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean to, pick on them but i i've made that comment like you Why guys not? try to come hunt uh hunt without a bait in manitoba and it's hard so yeah i'll second that i <clears throat> the reason why i asked too is because i almost like almost handicapped myself a little bit because there's an area that we kind of always hunt and like there's kind of three fields there and they kind of get mixed and match obviously every year they rotate what they're growing but um yeah sometimes i'm just like man maybe i should go scout some more area and but there's always good deer there, like, yeah. you know, and then, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, and I do, I do like, I cover a lot of ground. Um, like I was telling you before, I'm an agronomist, so I get lots of tips from farmers and stuff, you know, like they're out spraying and they say, well, I seen this great big buck here. You should go check it out. That happens mm-hmm. lots too. So I've kind of got an upper hand that way, but as far as where, like from that, from where you find that shed to where they're summering, it's usually very close where they're going to be hanging out. So if like, I usually don't go further than like three square miles that even that would probably be a lot. If you're looking for that specific deer, because where they, because where they rut, sure. You might find them 10 miles plus away, but where they summer and where they winter usually seems to be in the same spot. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I'm going to switch gears to be old deer unless Tristan has a couple white tail more questions. White tail questions. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I'm sure we could talk white, white tail all day. So, but yeah, I, I am really curious about the mule deer aspect here. So, that's, yeah. I, I've got like 10 questions lined up for that. So, right on. So, like anybody that's kind of uh, might not be from Manitoba or new, new to Manitoba, not hunting that often, there was a mule deer hunt or mule deer season that was introduced this past year um because of cwd and a few other things i'm sure i'm trying to just i don't know what another topic for another day is what's going on with that so we have a mule deer season in manitoba so well you decided and maybe you can just tell me how it all went down but were you planning on shooting a mule deer or was that in part of your part of your plan in the summertime yeah that was kind of a weird one because like correct me if i'm wrong but they they were very late um actually announcing what was going to be going on there was lots of rumors like i remember talking to guys and they were saying like oh well it's going to be only open to uh natives and metis and it's only going to be open to landowners and it's yeah like you heard all sorts of stories never really knew i I feel like it was wasn't until like july that they uh actually announced what was going to be going on right um but yeah, no, I like, I like, I cover a big, uh, big territory. I go down to that's like really southwestern area of the province, like Melita, Delrain, that area. So I, I've been watching these mule deer and kind of keeping tabs on the herds for years, just watching them and, and trying to go look for sheds. It usually seemed that uh, the locals always beat me for the sheds, but uh, I, I had a good idea where they were. So I was just kind of waiting to hear what was going to be going on. I didn't want to put a lot of effort into going and scouting and then hearing that 
yeah, it's only landowners or whatever. So when they, they did announce it, I, I kind of went balls to the wall scouting as much as I could. We were expecting a kid in at the beginning of August, well, he was supposed to be here at the end of August, but he came real early. So that obviously I didn't get as much scouting in as I would like to, but um, that's all good. It was, it was <laughs> yeah, he's, he's here. It's, it's all good. So everyone's happy. Everyone's healthy. Yeah, he was, um, he was like a month, well, th- three and a half weeks early. So he was in the NICU for about six days, but he's all good now. He's, he's six, six months old in a couple of days here. So he's awesome. a big chunker. Congrats. Yeah. yeah this you. podcast has shifted to uh, how to get out hunting when you're a new dad. So show yeah, yeah. you take it back. <laughs> it all, it all, uh, it, it all depends on what the boss says really. So yeah totally um will i was i was wondering too like and and shella maybe you have some insight on this too like you guys are out west they're obviously kind of like right on the the main front of all the mule deer activity that happens here we're me and chase are more out east so we're, we're a little farther away from it but like do you do you think that the the mule deer hunt like how was that welcomed out west like was that a good thing that did people think it was a good thing happening or like, what was the response to the way the province announced stuff? I would say, cause this is new, right? This is mm-hmm. this, this, I can't, I've never known a time that there's been a mule deer season in Manitoba. Right. So this is, yeah, like- I don't know. I was looking, we were trying to figure that out. Um, we're looking in the book, like the Manitoba book. And uh, yeah, I don't, I think it was like the seventies. It's the last time we were able to hunt mule deer in this province. So, well, Yeah. Yeah, like mule deer were here at one time, right? So yeah, like there's probably seasons or whatever. But how it was welcomed, I guess, in the west or in the west, I uh, I honestly I don't even really know. I know there's a lot, I think there's a lot of mixed feelings of the fact that like some people are like CWD believers and some people aren't in a way, kind of like COVID. But like yeah, that's you know a great I mean? way like to describe it. Yeah, it's here, it's here, and we got to deal with it or let's get rid of it. And um. So that's like, that's the only kind of mixed feelings I've heard of, but I'm not really right in the center of the heart of mule deer country either. Um, but yeah, unless you have anything else on that one, well, yeah, I mean, the government was kind of in a shitty spot because if you kill them, everyone's pissed off. And if, if you don't do anything and then all of a sudden all the whitetails and the elk and the moose get CWD, then they didn't do anything. It's their fault. So right. They were, yeah, I, I, I think they've been doing a decent job at it. I would have liked to see them make it into a draw. That's what I was thinking they were going to do. Um, well, they kind of opened it wide open is what happened, right? Like, what was it, like a $5 tag? Yeah, could- yeah $5 tag, one buck, and then go shoot two does. That was, I don't know how, yeah, I didn't like that. I mean, I I felt weird about the whole thing because I didn't really agree with what they were doing. But at the same time, I've always wanted a really big mule deer. And like my buddy, he's running a, a mule deer camp in Alberta now, and they're charging $12,500 US. So wow. yeah, obviously I'm going to go shoot a mule deer with, on a $5 tag. Can't even well, get a, you can't <laughs> even get a little Caesar's pizza for $5 these days. Never mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I got lots of burger all year, so nice. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I would say I would say not a lot of guys really went. Like um, 
for like obviously not not enough guys win or else they wouldn't have uh, opened up this winter season. So yeah, um, and I and I, I think a lot of guys. Oh, go ahead. So sorry. I was just gonna say I think a lot of guys had some tags in their pocket in case one you know ran across, but I don't think many guys like targeted them. No, guys that lived right in Mule Deer Country, they they went and shot them because they knew where great big ones were. Right. But yeah, I don't think there were that many guys driving in an hour and a half to go shoot one. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you guys about Mule Deer Country? Like again, the west, the west side of the province here is the 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 Mule Deer Haven. Is like, is it? Do you think the Mule Deer hunting in Manitoba is significantly different than some of those other areas, like? Saskatchewan and and Alberta can you guys do you guys have any insight on that or what do you in what way like the obviously the geography in Manitoba is like a on the west side is a little different you get like those rolling hills and those kind of uh there's a there's a lot more ag that there is on the east side of the province yeah um and so like is that kind of like classic muley territory at that point in time, or is it still like a little different than what you're experience what someone would experience in Saskatchewan or something like that? Well, the thing about it, I, in my mind, it's pretty interesting because of like the geographical whatever, like uh, the Great Plains kind of starts in Manitoba, so you kind of have like that southwestern corner is kind of similar to like what Saskatchewan's like, mm-hmm. you know, in that southern Saskatchewan, southern Alberta, in my opinion. But then the mule deer kind of range like up north all the way to maybe the duck mountains kind of thing. But on that, on that West side of, well, like there's that, that whole Assiniboine Valley and everything else, they're all in there from what I could tell from my driving around. Um, yeah, you're right. But like, yeah, they go, they go far and in, into like kind of almost a different, whole different type of uh, like land, like summer in like that prairie and then summer up in, into that valley type country. Yeah, and that would be the exact same as Saskatchewan. I mean, where yeah. I was hunting down by like, you know, Melita, Delrain up in there. Um, it's flat and it's it's a lot of pasture um, and lots of ag land too. And then you go up, like you say, into the Assiniboine Valley, like guys are hunting near Minneota, Verdon, and then you go all the way up to the Ducks. It's the same thing in Saskatchewan. Guys are, are hunting down in southeastern Saskatchewan. It's flat and then guys are hunting up in the river valleys of you know the north saskatchewan river up True. by battleford and whatever else it's it, it it all ranges same thing in alberta southern alberta all the way to the peace they're they're all the way up there so yeah i wouldn't say there's i would say that it's the same thing i was actually really surprised that um there weren't as many bigger mule deer shot here actually like it's i think it's just a genetic thing like saskatchewan yeah you see the 260 inch mule deer 240s whatever that's they they put those out all the time this year was the first year where it seemed like they really didn't and Mm -hmm. manitoba didn't either really alberta didn't so yeah this cwd thing is probably a lot more serious than most guys are making it out to be yeah yeah for sure um but the, the kind of carry on to your story too. So like you kind of figured out that you're going to go balls to the wall. Um, then what kind of happened after that? You, you found a few groups of, of mule deer that you were following and you found one, or was there a couple or how'd that look? Um, I actually had a really tough time finding one that I really wanted to chase. Um, I kind of set my, I kind of set myself a number. Like I wanted to chase like a 180 plus mule deer and 
And I mean, it was also tough, like learning how to field judge them when you've never really hunted them that hard before. Right. So mm-hmm. I was trying to watch as much stuff as I could online and Muley crazy and a bunch of like old Bentley Coben movies and stuff like that. Um, and I had like a pretty good, I thought, I thought I had a pretty good uh, handle on that. And then, yeah, I went cruising around and I found a, a, a nice big buck. Um, he did get shot eventually by someone else. And he, he was a lot bigger than I thought he was. He went 188. Um, I found him like two days before the season. And um, I got in with like 15 yards of him opening Dave Archery and put one right over his back. <laughs> um, Phew, i'm not the only one this year shot over <laughs> yeah it was it, it felt it felt so good um and i realized what i did after it was like i had set my pin to 40 when he was way out there and then when he was right in right in on me i i didn't change my pin and i yeah put it right over his back so that was a piss off i i actually was within him like three more times during the season within bow range the second time this crop was so tall. I just couldn't get a shot at it. Learned something from talking to a buddy of mine from Saskatchewan. He said that you should just like, if you're within 20 yards, just even if the crop is there, just put it in his vitals. He said like the, the crop won't catch the arrow fast enough. It'll go through something that I wish I knew before, but yeah. um, I didn't take the shot on him just cause I, I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable with it. He took off. And then when he, uh, when he shed his velvet, he just, all of a sudden he didn't look that impressive to me. I seen him a few times and I kind of decided I was going to go look for something else. Uh, he ended up being bigger than the one I shot, but whatever. I mean, that was a choice I made and, but, um, yeah, no. And then, so that was kind of mid September. I never, I got really busy with work. And then just one day at work, I was, I was driving by a field that I had seen a, like a really big one two years ago, Remembrance Day in the South Falfa field. It was right off the number two highway, actually, like right there. And um, this big buck was out feeding at 4.30 in the afternoon, like middle of October. I, I, I didn't understand it. I thought, what the hell's going on? But I went and asked the guy for permission. He said, yeah, you go ahead. And then I actually snuck into the, the yard site that they were bedding down in. And I got to within 80 yards of him and I had, I just took spotting scope photos of him and he was looking right at me. I'll send them to you guys after they're pretty good pictures. Sure. Um, anyways, uh, I just thought, you know, I'm going to wait. It was a week away from muzzleloader. I just thought I'm just, I'm not going to blow him out of here. I'm going to wait till muzzleloader. It'll be a sure thing. It's never a sure thing, but that's what I thought. (laughs) But um, yeah. Yeah, and then opening day of muzzleloader season came. My dad actually drove out from like the Bonnie, so we were all excited to go mule deer hunting. He's, you know, mid-50s. He's never hunted mule deer, so he was pretty jacked up. And I don't know if if anyone went hunting on the opening day of muzzleloader. It was a really brutal day. It was just like pissing rain and windy, and yeah, it was a pretty poor day. But anyway, we went around looking for a mule deer for him, um just because this one that I was going to go after he was kind of in a spot where he wasn't pressured at all like I didn't see any other trucks around there at all um when we got to the area that we were going to hunt there was trucks all over the place like and I was thinking like geez really like I thought that the weather was going to keep people home but it, it didn't right um so then I said well let's go let's go find him then and uh I walked in I looked 
into the yard site and I, I thought he wasn't in there. I, I, I'd glassed it and he was just hiding behind a bunch of deadfall. I got up and I went walking through there and then all of a sudden I could see him and this little spiker bounding away. I was, yeah. Anyway, so we, uh, he went to uh, another piece of bush. Like this is wide open country and there's just like another maybe five acre piece of bush about two miles away. And I, I watched him run over there. So found out the the landowner's name it was a different it was like this guy's neighbor so I went and asked him for permission he said yeah you go ahead so dad tried pushing him out it was kind of like an l-shaped bush and uh he came out the one side and then I was like yeah he didn't come out and then he we were going to try to push it the the north south side and as I'm sitting there watching they must have watched him walk right past them because they they went south like away from us like <laughs> exactly where they didn't need to go because they're that's the way deer are they're smart but anyway I I yelled at dad I said let's go come on we gotta go and uh so I knew they were going to probably run back right to the yard site where I bust them out before just because those were really the only two pieces of bush in the area like it's wide open out there right and uh, so we get in the truck and we start driving back there. It's a couple miles away. And, and he actually ran right up to the road and he was on an old railroad bed track and he was up on the top and he was like skylined. And I just remember dad's go, holy shit. He said, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah. And uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I, uh, I say, okay, well, I'm going to get out here. And I actually, the, the landowner, he drives up and he's going, he, he kind of drove up right at the same time. And then he kind of said the same thing. Holy shit. <laughs> and uh, so I said, yeah, I'm getting out. So I said to dad, I said, yeah, go park over there. I'm going to go chase after him. And uh, so, yeah, it, it was wide open. So I, I basically had to crawl the whole way. And then eventually he did make it to the yard site and, uh, I could see him. I, I got lucky. I, I, I glassed him. Um, I could just see his white patch in his chest. I got really lucky seeing him. And then, will, will had the, had the firearms come up at any point at this story or were they all just kind of. Nope. Like, no, nope. it hadn't. No, we just kind of seen him and he was always running away way too far for muzzleloader. So. Okay. So yeah. you're, and, and now you're crawling through, through the yard yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of the yard and the uh, and, and the bush that they had ran to. Like, there's about two miles in between, and I'm just trying to follow them. So when they're when when they're looking at me, I'm kind of crawling or I'm down. And as I watch them with binoculars, they're when they look away, I'm I'm running, I'm sprinting to try to catch up. <laughs> and um, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, and. Uh, they eventually did see me and, and, and dad actually phoned me and he said, they ran across the highway. I said, no, I'm looking at him right now. The, the spiker had run to the North across the highway. We're like, we're not very far from the, from like a pretty main highway. Like, it was, and, and, and eventually after I bumped him a few times, not bumped him like up close to him, but he would, he would only let me get to within maybe 300 yards of him. And then he would get a little, okay i'm out of here kind of thing so that maybe happened two or three times and then where he ended up betting for the the final part of it was um like 50 yards off the number two highway he just he got up on a high spot where he could see all that 
flat country. Like he just a little bit undulation and he sat there and he was in, you know, bluff of willows that you couldn't see him from the road. Uh, like it amazed me that this big buck was like, yeah. like just right there. So um, anyway, I crawled around in the, in the rain in the wind and got covered in dirt and lost my range finder. And I got to within 60 yards of him. And this was like 20 minutes before last shoot light and uh, misfired with muzzleloader. <laughs> and I could have wrapped that thing around a hydro pole. I was, I was, I got in the truck and I was cussing and yelling and dad was just, he, he thought it was pretty funny, but um, <laughs> so I didn't see him for another week. And, and then it was like, I think it was November. I shot him on the 2nd of November. So I, I seen him November 1st. He was in the alfalfa field again, up on a big high hill skyline with like 11 does. Like it was the 1st of November. So I, I think it was him, a spiker and like 11 does. So he was, he was thinking about running. That's one thing I learned about mule deer is that they're not like a white tail where, where they'll, kind of just get on a hot doe and, and follow them. Like it seemed like they're almost like an elk where they'll have their harem of does and he'll fight off any bucks that want to come, come to them. So um, interesting. Anyway, first light, see him up on the, on the skyline, perfect bunch of cattails in between us. Perfect. Made a great stock. Um, got to within a hundred yards of him. And they started kind of funneling out. They were going to go back to their bedding. I hadn't, they hadn't even seen me. It was, it was great. And I was, I was, I was excited. I thought it was going to happen. He jumped over this, this little fence line in the middle of the field. And um, yeah, I ranged, I had arranged him. I think it was like 95 yards or something. And I just gave, gave him a, a yell just so that he would stop and look. And I, I had everything solid on the mus on the, on the shooting sticks. And I had a second misfire no way yeah wow so they took off they didn't really like the, i played the wind well they didn't really they didn't smell me they didn't really see me move they didn't know what it was so they ran off a couple hundred yards and then they kind of just sauntered off into their bedding area so i thought well that's it for the day and i would just i came i, I came I, I went to work for the day and then i came back to brandon i bought a muzzleloader at joe brooks went sighted in that night because i was <laughs> done with that thing i wasn't gonna screw around anymore that gun yeah holy man anyways next morning i pretty much just I, I remember where they were coming like just going back to their bedding and i i cut him off um he's he was at like 70 yards and he was looking at me dead on and i just pumped him right in the chest dropped him right there so nice yeah yeah so wow that's yeah a, that's i a, that's... i i don't like those muzzle loaders <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. a great story, man. I just sitting here just listening, waiting, and oh no, there's a little bit more. Nope, yeah. there's a little bit more. It's like, yeah, man, there's so much heartache there that I'm so happy for you that you got to uh got to get them, you know, yeah. after chasing them for that long. Yeah, so it was like it was a beautiful day. It was uh yeah, it was it was like I, I think I shot him like 10 minutes into legal light. So I've always shot deer at like at kind of last light kind of thing. I never had that experience where you shoot them in the morning, so it's like geez, I don't have to rush. This is really nice. So I phoned up one of my buddies. He farms around there and he, he I had been keeping him in the loop with all my muzzleloader, what was going on. And so yeah. he had, he had actually offered me uh, uh, to take his muzzleloader 
anyways, uh, I phoned him and I was all jacked. I said, yeah, I got him. And he was laughing. So he, he came, took pictures of me with it and, uh, load them up in the back of the truck. Like, it's not like a white tail. Eh? Like I, I've loaded some pretty good size white tails in the back of the truck by myself. You can't do that with the mule deer. They're just too big. Oh yeah. So we got them in the back and I drove back to Brandon and got pictures with, I think that Nash would have been, uh, yeah, three, three months old. So got pictures with him on, in the truck with him and stuff and skinned him out and drank beer all day. So it was pretty good. <laughs> well trophy day yeah nice so yeah i actually had a picture with that just like just like that with my uh with my dad when i was a, a baby too so we we had actually we had uh framed them both and gave it to him for christmas so that was pretty cool. oh that's cool yeah oh that's awesome and so what did that uh mule deer end up scoring uh he grossed 180 and netted 169 change yeah he he had like really big frame um really big fronts he just kind of had weak back forks that was really all you could uh you could pick apart he didn't have lots of mass either but i mean i'm i was super happy like i said five dollar yeah. tags so yeah yeah what 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 muzzle loader did you transition over to you said the name i forget uh no i don't think i did i i had an old knight from mm -hmm. i think it was the 90s it was that uh mk85 predator like dad's the, the, all the guys from the 90s would remember that muzzleloader they always loved that muzzle i think loader. i have that one still yeah <laughs> and yeah sell it yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't no, want it then hey I, I thought about it i bet you like we, we we moved uh we got a new house and uh i was keeping all the stuff in the basement i wonder if just the powder got wet or something i like just a little damp but anyways um i moved from that to uh uh what is it called geez uh C cva uh optima i think oh yeah so nice. stainless uh yeah it's it's nice i, I put a loophole on it i I got nothing but loophole on my guns. So hmm. that's quite the story. And it's, it's pretty cool because, uh, you know, like just like we were talking about earlier, just mule deer hunting isn't really mm -hmm. anything in Manitoba until this year. But when you were kind of, um, let's say stalking them, did you take out any of those tricks you see on TV, like taking off your boots or anything like that? Or were you just, just going out there and playing the way? Um, I mean, what what I learned was uh, wait until probably about noon, like when nice. you see him bed down at eight o'clock nine, and and you you're all excited to get in there. Wait a few hours because they'll get up again and they'll they'll change their beds when the wind picks up. Like that's that's kind of what they say on TV, and Cody Robbins always talks about that. Um, and, uh, and and they do that. I I've seen them do that lots. And, and, and also when you wait till 11 noon, the, the, the wind picks up lots, which is you need wind. Don't, if, if the wind isn't there, don't even bother to try to get within bow range of them. Oh yeah. Um, then the other thing that you did mention too, is I thought was kind of cool was he, you said that he went into that little shrubbery that was 50 yards off the highway <clears throat> where he could kind of see everything. Yeah. And like when you're, when you're telling the story, I'm almost thinking, you know, like maybe a buck like that, Maybe that was his spot where he got a little bit of pressure. He'd go sit there so he could watch and see what's happening. But Probably. you know what I mean? Because those bucks don't get big by being stupid. And 
that sounds like a little bit of a strategy if you couldn't see him from the road, but you knew he was in there. Um, that's interesting. Well, I, that was one thing that I was uh, amazed at by hunting Mulder this year is just like what they can do. It's so little cover, you know, and, and they all, and, and I found in the, in the summer when they're, when they're eating, they'll, they'll, they'll eat in a crop that it's, it's high enough. They, they don't really eat the soybeans. Like maybe they do, maybe I, I just didn't see it, but if they had like a real tall crop of canola or oats or something, it seemed like that's where they like to be because they'll bed down there all day. They're not like oh, a white tail where they're going to come into the field, eat, go back, sit on an oak crib somewhere where they have a bed, but way back in the bush. They're there. They bed, they just bed down there. They eat there and they just do their thing all day. Hmm. And you won't see them. Like, and you see these great big mule deer and it amazes me how you, you just don't see them. Like I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I was watching them from like trucks drive by guys hunting. And I'd be up on a fence line watching and they would drive right by them and they'd be like 50 yards off the road. Yeah. Like wow. it's, yeah. So that's crazy. They, they just learned to do with what they have, I guess. So, yeah. And so now you got this one on the ground there. You got some more ideas. Like, are you going to be pursuing them next year? If there's a tag, like, um, are you kind of got the mule deer bug now or, or how do you feel? Yeah, I do. Um, I, uh, I apply in a lot of the states like uh, Colorado, Wyoming, um, Nevada, Arizona. So uh-huh. I, you know, like say like an Arizona strip tag or something like that's kind of what everyone knows. Um, probably take me 20 years to draw. I've been in it for five years. So maybe another 15 years, maybe I get lucky to draw it soon. Um, I always put in for tags like that. But as far as, uh, as, as, far as Manitoba goes, like they, they open that season for the winter. Um, but by the time that come around the, the roads, there was, there was lots of snow and mm. guys, a lot of guys in Manitoba don't like to get out of the truck. Yeah. So, um, I don't think there's really any mule deer that have been shot in this winter season. And so I'm almost certain there'll be another season next year. And I, I do plan. I, we seen a, a giant, like, um, a buck way bigger than the couple that I was hunting. Uh, he was on land that we didn't have permission on. Uh, and he had to be, yeah, 200 plus. I, I was with my one buddy there that day. And he he also knows mule deer a little bit. And we both, like, we were looking at that buck, that the, the first one I was chasing, the one that went 188. Mm-hmm. And he was actually just a few hundred yards behind him. And he like, he looked like an elk. Like, it was, like so we'll be, we'll be chasing after him. Yeah. And that was the other thing I was going to mention too. And I kind of forgot about it, but I'm glad you just said that because um, I've never seen a mule deer buck probably bigger than like a 150 or 160 mm-hmm. just driving, you know what I mean? Um, so how, how did you figure out how to like kind of score them on the hoof? Like when they're out in the field, like you said, you were watching videos and doing stuff. Was there anything that like you took, took the information and you actually used it when you're watching these big bucks? Yeah. Like they have such big ears, right? So you kind of compare their, their width, like the frame to their ears, and then just like deep, deep forks, big back forks. That's like, that's a big time thing for the score. Um, Like any mule deer that makes Spoon and Crockett typical, it's going to have giant back forks. Right. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like I, I just looked at enough of them 
you just got to look at lots of them. I actually, I would, what I would do is I, I would, I, I would look at mule deer and then I would like, I would just kind of text my buddies in Saskatchewan or Alberta that, that knew mule deer really well. And uh, I would just send pictures to them and they, I would kind of see if I was relatively close to what they would say, mm-hmm. just to kind of test myself. And usually I, I got pretty good at it. So. Hmm. Right on. Um, so my kind of my last question about mule deer hunting, unless Tristan's got some more too, but uh, you kind of, and you mentioned a whole bunch of other places that you'd like to mule deer hunt or were even putting in draws, but where would be that, uh, that dream hunt for a mule deer? Probably Saskatchewan. But, yeah. but they will never, I don't think they'll ever let a non-resident hunt. So it would, it would be, uh, it would be the Arizona strip. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've, I have all the old muley crazy uh, DVDs and stuff from like nineties and the two thousands <laughs> and like the, the, the Ponsagant in Utah and, and that bumps up against the Arizona strip and there's all these giant bucks running around and they're, it hasn't been that good lately just because they say like it's such a big such a big drought in the western states like the southwestern Mm -hmm. states down there but i guess they've had some pretty good seasons lately they think it's going to be good going forth and and actually the cwd hasn't gone that far down there um when a lot of guys think about big mule deer they think about colorado but because of cwd they've upped the tag numbers they're basically just trying to eradicate them quality's gone down uh, those southwestern states they don't have CWD yet. So, right. hmm. um, I actually have another question too. One more quick one. Um, mule deer, Manitoba mule deer meat compared to white-tailed deer. Was there any difference? Did you was it just as good, just as bad, or what? Do you, what was your take as on far that? as is what? what like what like taste? Like what like um, yeah, just eating um, meat. What was it like? Yeah, like I. I've heard guys say that mule deer isn't very good. I, I think it's really good. Um, it all just depends on when you shoot them and what they've been eating on. I think like the, the one that I shot, he was like a alfalfa fed mule deer. That's really like all, all the fields that I've seen him in, it was, he was always eating in an alfalfa field. Um, the same would go for any of the ag land deer, like in the canola and oats and whatever else. But I think once there, there were some deer that I, that I did see that were like, in pasture like buck brush and uh silver willows and stuff like that like yeah i, I think they would probably taste a little worse yeah but uh i can yeah, see that no, the one the one that i shot was he's he's yeah he's good eating oh that's awesome yeah yeah we made some we cut off the back straps and made some rump roasts and put the rest to burger so right on with the price of groceries right now it's pretty good yeah exactly five bucks right yeah you didn't take them to Oper Myers? I thought that's what everyone did. That's <laughs> no. what I do. <laughs> Oper Myers is a little pricey lately. <laughs> I don't I mean, make hydro money. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah. You, pay for, you pay for what you get. You pay for what you get. No, they do a really good job. I have had stuff done by them. I'm, I'm just teasing. No, I <laughs> I, uh, I have a buddy who's uh, he's got the, uh, the grinder and all the uh, all that stuff so we just usually do it ourselves it's nice. a good excuse to get together and have some drinks and do that. absolutely yeah one of tristan's favorite things to do is sausage making day but you haven't even got there yet have you tristan no not this year it's a little harder with the rugrats running around these days so yeah yeah 
but uh, hopefully they'll be old enough soon not to stick their hand in the grinder and then we can go from there. Now we're, like, Nash is at the age where he doesn't go anywhere yet. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. yeah, I got all these sheds lying around here to, yeah, we're, I'm going to have to baby proof the place a little bit. Yeah. Just wait. You're about two months out. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tristan, do you have any more questions about the mule deer thing? No, I, I, I want to hear about this. Uh, was it uh, Ibstan or what, what yeah. kind of animal? Ibex. Ibex. In Tajikistan, yeah. Tajikistan. I just combined them both of them there. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of speaking of dream hunts, um, you just went on kind of like a dream hunt. Give us the, the backstory on that. How did that all get put into place for you? Yeah. So, um it was back in January, 2021. It was when everyone, you weren't really allowed to do anything and government was telling you how many people you could have in your house and whatever. So anyway, uh, I was sitting around, uh, it was, it was like a, it was a Friday night and it was, uh, the wild sheep foundation. Uh, they, their big convention down in Reno, it's called the sheep show. And, and every year they, they do that. Um, and, and, and for a lot of these raffles, uh, you need to be present to win. And because of COVID, it was all virtual. They were streaming everything. They had all the auctions and all that stuff. Um, just you, you had to like buy, I think it was like a hundred bucks or something to, to buy into it. Then you could watch all of it online. So there's this, uh, they do the less than one club. And what that is, is anyone that hasn't taken a North American sheep so whether that's the doll sheep, bighorn sheep, desert bighorn sheep, or the stone sheep, um, you, you, as soon as you shoot one, you can't go into it. You're not eligible. It's for on, only for people that haven't gotten one. And it's 25 bucks to be a part of it. And uh, usually on a normal year, the first per they have three hunts that they uh, draw off. And if, if you're the first person drawn, you get your first pick of the hunts and the tax service that you want and uh and you don't need to be present twin the second and third do need to be present twin second gets whatever is left third gets whatever's left after that so they have that but they also have the less than one international club and so that was uh ibex in tajikistan a chamois they're like those little really little goats they're yeah. they're in france and uh and then th there was another one it was chamois in spain and so anyway, um, because all these raffles, all of a sudden you need to be present to win. I thought, well, throw a couple hundred bucks in these raffles. There was doll sheep and brown bear in Alaska and all this stuff. I thought, well, put it in there and see what happens. I, you never expect to win anything like that, but here, yeah. when, when you don't win your money, it goes towards the conservation, uh, organization and it's, it's all good uh, to me anyways. Um, anyway, so I'm sitting there, I poured myself a drink and I was getting ready to watch all the raffles and it was the first raffle of the night called actually. And, uh, the president, I, I'll, I was sitting there and Larissa was in the kitchen and he said, yeah, uh, first drawn for less than one international club from Brandon, Manitoba. And as soon as it said Brandon, Manitoba, I thought, what the fuck is going on here? Who? <laughs> 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 it's gotta it's gotta be someone else and then he says william sakura and i just i sat there and i didn't really know what to say and larissa is in the kitchen and she's screaming and freaking out and 
I, 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 uh, I went in and she just said, she's like, why aren't you excited? I just, I'm just in shock. I don't, I don't know what to do. And, uh, so anyway, she, she thought at that time when she was all excited, she thought that I'd won a doll sheep hunt or something like I was going to Alaska or the Yukon or something. She, she thought she might even be coming on the trip. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I said, she says, so what'd you win? I said, well, I, I get the first pick out of these three. I think I'm going to pick the Tajikistan Ibex. And as soon as, as soon as she heard that, she just, she thought <laughs> she was, she started crying. <laughs> so she, she, uh, well, people hear Stan at the end of a country, right. And they, they get, yeah, you, you know, so, yeah. um, so anyway, probably yeah, 10 minutes went by and the lady called me and she said, yeah, um, what do you, what one do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to do the cheeks and Ibex. Uh, and she said, what tax service do you want? There was a taxidermist in Texas, one in Wyoming, and one that was in Bismarck. And the, the Bismarck one was going to be a pedestal where the other ones were uh, shoulder mounts. And so I said, well, geez, go, go with the, the, the Bismarck one. Yeah. And then, yeah, I got like probably like 10 grand worth of gears, like, like stone glacier packs and Cryptek and Leupold sent me rifle scope and uh, boots and like the, yeah, Schnee's boots, like the whole deal. Like I, no it was a big package. So anyway, um, yeah, we started planning, uh, started trying to train and get in shape. Um, it's because of COVID, it kind of kept getting pushed back and mm -hmm. then, uh, yeah, we finally went this last November. So, right. um, yeah, we had, uh, like Jack Atchison Jr. He's hit him and his dad. They're kind of like world renowned mountain hunters. Uh, I had read about them in the past. And so it was pretty cool to be talking to him on the phone and he, he was great. Like he, he'd phone me and, and, you know, for the first time I talked to him, we probably talked to, talked to each other on the phone for like two hours. Like he, and he had all sorts of stories and, um, I just wasn't expecting it. Someone that is as busy as him and he, he was great. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like an international trip like that. Uh, there is a lot of planning to do. Yeah. Um, gun permits, the way you pack your gun, the way you pack your ammo, um, all the gear you need. Um, yeah. What, like, there's there's a lot to know so and, and i had lots of people reach out to me uh there's a guy down here uh at delarine his name is brad mills he, he's kind of gone around traveling the world quite a bit hunting and he he uh he gave me a call and talked talked about things and yeah no so it was good there was lots of support that way right yeah and so anyway uh yeah so so dad decided that he was going to come with me too so that was okay. going to be pretty cool um we, uh, we left at, it was the 22nd of November this year. And, um, we left, we left from Winnipeg to Toronto, Toronto to Istanbul, Turkey. Okay. Uh, and then from Istanbul, Turkey to Dushanbe, Tajikistan. And so, yeah, like it was a, like a lot of travel and lots of layover. It was, yeah, it's, it's a grind just to get there actually. Um, and uh, we, we get there, we get into the airport and no one speaks English. And there was some guy holding a sign that said Sikora on it. So I went over to him and 
like there's a there's a customs line and he just like he says no we're going this way and i'm like whoa whoa like am i not supposed to go through here no no okay (laughs) so you just follow me just do what you're told and hopped in this car and i just remember like looking at dad and we were both kind of thinking the same thing like where the hell are we going and where's our stuff (laughs) and so we uh we get to this one other little part of the airport and it's kind of like a, a vip lounge kind of thing and uh we meet uh Javi Below was the guy's name and uh he he kind of he kind of runs the the show he he's like their lawyer kind of guy and then we actually met our interpreter uh her name was Latifa she was awesome and we sat there for like two hours and I remember looking at dad and saying like we're not getting our stuff like it's there's after an hour you start thinking like there's no way you know, we went, we went from, you just hear all these horror stories. Right. And like mm-hmm. our, our, even our gun permit, when we were in Winnipeg, like the lady, it was all rodent in Tajik. She couldn't even understand it. <laughs> so <laughs> anyways, uh, actually something cool in that VIP lounge, you guys know that Corey Knowlton guy? I've heard. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. He don't. used to be on that uncharted show with Shockey. Okay. Yeah, he he's the guy. He he bought that black rhino tag like years ago, and CNN did a story on it. He got a bunch of backlash. Guys were giving him death threats and whatever else. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he was there uh, in the lounge. It was kind of cool. I, I said to dad, I said, "Holy shit, that's Courtney Knowlton." Uh, I guess him and his uh, daughter were going on a hunt. But anyways, I'm rambling. We uh, we we got in, we did get our stuff, and we we got in the truck. Got in the truck. And uh, it was about four hours from the airport to um, to base camp. And it was all in the dark. It was like three in the morning. Um, we stopped at this gas station. And it was just like you'd kind of envisioned, say, Afghanistan or something. Like you just start looking around and it's like, oh. And, and, and I, I needed to go to the washroom. And the guy pulls and he, he says, oh, yeah, it's over here. I, I go over there and it's just a hole in the ground like hole in the floor kind of thing yeah uh, and uh yeah anyway so we take this crazy mountain road through the dark the guy's like not slowing down at all it's he's just driving like a maniac and i'm thinking like oh this this is it <laughs> <laughs> good thing i got all my life insurance stuff figured out before i left but uh anyways we got to base camp just in time for sunrise and uh we uh yeah, it was like, all, you can see the beautiful mountains and we had breakfast and just took a nap, just took her easy because we hadn't really had any sleep and uh, sighted in my gun. And then the next day it was time to go up. So we, uh, we took a truck like this, I think it was from 66. I was looking, we looked at the serial number on the door um, and uh, went down to this river valley. We drove down the river uh guys were like getting out to move rocks and stuff it was kind of fun oh, yeah. to watch but um anyway yeah anyway so we we get down the river and then they, they had some horses and some donkeys waiting for us and uh loaded up our stuff on there and I refused to get on the horse I said like I I'm not a horse guy I don't want to go I'm telling my interpreter I'm like no no and and, and they won't take no for an answer right like they they want <laughs> you to get on the horse yeah. So I, I said, I looked at dad. I said, well, I guess we got to get him the horse. And so we're, we're going up this mountain on the horse and you've like, 
they were pretty impressive as far as horses go. I don't know horses that well, but like just the way that they were able to navigate that terrain, it was amazing. But anyways, we, uh, we made it up to a big perch and we, we found some brown bear shit along the way. They got brown bears over there. They're not as big as the brown bears here. They're probably more the size of like inland grizzly bear, but like, I'm looking at this brown bear shit and the, the guide had just showed me the night before a picture of some guy that just got mauled by one and he's just pulled into pieces. So I'm kind of <laughs> thinking like, Oh, okay. Well, Good thing you don't, you don't want me to load my gun. Right. They, they say, no, no, you can't load your gun. And I'm thinking I'd, I'd really like to have my gun loaded actually. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we got to this kind of perch and obviously it's their spot that they, like these guys, they, they grew up there, right? Like they're, uh, they call them rangers, but they're, they're guides. They're almost more like conservation officers. Like when they're not guiding uh, hunters, they're, they're actually patrolling the areas, making sure that there's, there's no poachers there. Okay. Yeah. So um, they had this spot and we sit there and like, I, I would like to consider myself a pretty good spotter. And these guys are like light years ahead of me. Like I was looking, I couldn't really see much. And all of a sudden, oh, Ibex, Ibex. And all they knew how to say, they didn't know how to say much. Eh? But the big, big, big Ibex. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. they they want, they, they their gear is like, they're in, uh, you know, military surplus uh, camo and they're wearing rubber boots and they got <laughs> shitty old binoculars and you're all, all done up with your fancy gear and you got nice boots on and whatever else. And like they'll they'll they're like mountain goats so they'll walk circles around you in their rubber boots it's unbelievable wow but uh anyway we spotted the ibex and it was just after that he he kind of said like we're we're gonna leave your dad here like dad's knees were kind of bothering him and they didn't want that many guys going up there because there was like 10 guides and then the interpreter and us mm-hmm. so um myself and three guides we took off and it was already noon and i remember like we were a fair ways away from these ibex like we had we were using the spotting scope to see them and they they had to be a mile and a half away but that doesn't sound that far but when you're going up a mountain it's far (laughs) yeah so um i remember thinking like really aren't like i thought maybe we would wait till tomorrow but they were like we're going leave your stuff they weren't gonna let me take any uh any stuff in my bag really they were like bring your bring five shells bring your gun and bring your binoculars it's like okay so away we went and we uh we get to uh we get to a waterfall i remember and it's like i, I remember like i just well I, I guess we have to turn around then like we're not making it up here and this guy just climbs up like i say rubber boots climbs up the waterfall throws down a rope, they wrapped it around my waist and they pulled me up. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was something. And I remember think I, I remember at that point thinking, holy shit, we're going to have to do this in the dark, aren't we? And we did eventually, but anyways, um, we, uh, yeah, we made it up there and it was like, it wasn't crazy altitude when you like this area that we were, we were in in Tajikistan, like we weren't in the Pamirs where it's like 17,000 feet. Like we were only at about 8,000 feet, but I don't know if it's jet lag and lack of sleep and maybe a little bit of altitude. I mean, we come from 
Brandon, I think we're a thousand feet above sea level. So I was pretty gassed uh, mm -hmm. getting up there. And by the time you make it way up there, um, like you're in some pretty steep, you know, hard to navigate kind of terrain. And, and these guys, like, like you say, they're just amazing navigating it. And you just kind of got to trust them. Yeah. They're like, you're going up stuff that I wasn't very comfortable going up and they're, they're kind of there and they're saying like, we got you, like, you're good. So just got to power through it. And, uh, we got up to the top and I remember he, he goes, Oh, Ibex. And I, I'm like, really? Like, I just, I was so disoriented, like from when we seen him a mile and a half away and going up the mountain for like five hours, I thought, how do you, how do you know where these, they are? But clearly they know, like, like I say, their, their dads were these rangers. They've done it all their life. Like they just, they probably know that mountain range like the back of their hand and they know where these Ibex like to hang out and at what time of the year. Right. So mm -hmm. we got up over, I looked down and I thought they were going to be like maybe four or 500 yards away. And they're like a hundred yards away, like right there looking at me. I'm like, Whoa. So I, I looked down and, and, uh, it's, it's just like a, a nanny and, uh, and a kid, I guess. And uh, I, I looked over at him and, and, and my, my interpreter is not there. Like that, that's something that's super important on these international hunts is having your interpreter with you. Cause like, that's frustrating. <laughs> you think, yeah. 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 So uh, I, I, he, he's saying Ibex, Ibex. And I'm saying, I'm like, yeah, like it's a, it's a, it's a nanny and a kid. And I'm going and I'm making hand signals as to which direction they are. And he's, no, no, no. And I'm looking down into this valley, but literally right across, like right in line with us on like another ridge, about 250 yards away, there's this monster ibex there. Um, you know, and I look at him and I, I, my eyes wide. And then he goes, oh, and he kind of laughed because he knew, oh, okay, now you see him. Yeah. And, uh, he kind of keeps, all I can see is this big Ibex's neck. And I, I remember like, I, I, I was going to be all right. Like I, I didn't really want to go, have to go back down and then come back up again the next day. So I was going to be fine with shooting him in the neck. Like that, my dad always said, that's the way he shoots deer. And he says, that's, uh, that's the best way to go. They drop right there, which yeah. is another thing when you're, when you're hunting these mountain game, you don't want them to jump off a cliff right so <laughs> anyway there's lots of brush in the way so i i can't shoot i'm just i in i still like this guy didn't understand any english but as soon as that ibex got up and left i just said under my breath i said fuck and then this guy in Taji this tajikistan guy he was fuck <laughs> <laughs> i just remember thinking that was kind of funny but uh anyway they uh he went up and he goes up this ridge and uh he spots them again and uh so i they, they pulled me up there and and i couldn't actually it was so steep that i couldn't really get my gun angled towards them they actually were holding my feet underneath me to push me up Cause I couldn't get my feet into the, into the rock. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was steep, but anyways, um, I shot there, there was a Billy standing right where this big monster one had been. And, uh, I, I, I figured this one, like I, I, I got a front view and, uh, I, sh I shot and 
it went down and then it starts rolling down. And then all of a sudden the monster Ibex runs down with the, uh, with the nannies and the kids they're, they're running at that time. And I, I kind of realized, Oh no, I shot the wrong one. All good. Like we, we got, we got down to him and, uh, I mean, he's still beautiful. Like he was big. I mean, as, mm-hmm. as far, you know, the difference between a, an average and a, a monster Ibex is like five inches. Right. So, I mean, I got, no one's ever going to be able to tell when he's in my house, but uh, no. <laughs> and anyway, uh, we, so yeah, we took pictures and uh, skinned him out, had a fire there and then it started getting dark. And then we went down and we had to do that whole thing in the dark went down the waterfall in the dark and, and these guys, like they didn't even quarter them. Eh? Like I, I have pictures and, and the one guy, they basically just cut it in half. He's got the two back legs over his shoulder and he's got about half of his ribs down his back. If you can imagine that. Oh, yeah. And he went and, and he goes down the waterfall uh, like that in his rubber boots. <laughs> and then meanwhile, they're carrying they They got me going down with this rope. Like I just like, you want to feel weak going to hunt with those guys, but anyway, that sounds amazing. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we got down, we, we, the, the horse ride down, uh, around cliffs and stuff in the dark, like that was, that was quite something, but anyway, we got back to camp and celebrated and, um, we changed our flights to come back home. Just like we, we I, I tagged on the first day of the hunt. Right. So, right. um, we had 10 more days. I said, dad, like we got, I got my kid here at home. Like probably be a good idea to get back to him. And also, you know, we still had a good week long uh, deer season here in Manitoba. And we were, we wanted to go chase after whitetails too. Right. So we, uh, we uh, got a satellite phone and got our travel agent to switch around our flights. And then we came back home. So um, nice the last day we got to go check out a lot of the culture. Like we went to uh, a few little towns and got some tours. And then we went to the main city and went to like some wet markets and stuff. Um, that was disgusting, but like there was, there was some stuff in those wet markets. Like it, it like, I swear it was, it was like a skinned out coyote. Like it's oh, just, wow. they, they, they don't have the, uh, the same regulations we do here. Right. But no, yeah. it was a cool experience. I got the, the one question is, popping to me right off the bat is the, at the end of the story but i got some questions about the start but um was there anything for like when you said you guys celebrated was there anything that they those guides or anything they wanted to do like there's something in a different country they wanted to do i don't know um yeah so as as far as celebrating like we they're muslim so they they weren't drinking um but like they dance a lot like they, <laughs> so they would right put on, what's that so you fit right in? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really no. I, I didn't put it that way, but but uh, no, no. Like they they had their uh, like Tajik rap and pop music playing. You can understand any of it, but they danced the night away. It was pretty funny to watch. So got lots of videos of that. And it's, it's it, like that's the thing about those international hunts. It's kind of it's not just the hunt. It's all the 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 culture and all that that you get to experience right so mm-hmm. what was camp like was it like what was the pretty layout? bougie yeah 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 they're um 
there was like running hot water. Um, they had a sauna there. Oh. They had a, they had a TV. It didn't work, but it was there. Um, they actually had a really nice like perch that looked out over the whole mountain range. Um, it was pretty neat just to like when you were just hanging out at camp, you would just sit there. They had a big spotting scope set up that you could watch and the, the, the guides would kind of come in and out and oh, Ibex and you would be able to see them like miles away. So you could kind of keep an eye on them all day. It was just pretty cool. Wow. That is and, uh, how was the food? Uh, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Ibex itself, um, it was okay. Uh, they, it, it was really tough and I could tell that skinning them out. Like there's just no fat on them. Right. So, um, I mean a, a running mountain goat essentially. So if you've ever skinned a, a, a white tail during the rut, there's really not that much fat on it. And they're, they're just such a lean animal anyway. So, um, yeah, tough. And it, it was like, it was like a nine, 10 year old, like it was an old animal. So, um, Speaking of we, that had too, it, we had it as like skewers and it like, I just, maybe it was the way they, they cooked it. It was really tough, but we had it in like a soup one day and it was quite good. It didn't have a very wild flavor. It was, it was kind of like, it tasted like beef. It was, it was good. Yeah. Speaking of like the age of it, why don't you throw some numbers at us? Like I'm just, I've seen a picture of it, but I would like to know, like, like, do you know, like approximately like the weight, like how tall would it be? How, like, what are those? Would it be, I guess it'd be horns, right? How long yeah. were they? Yeah, I think the horns were like uh, 38, 39 inches. Oh, wow. Uh, like a monster would be like 42 to 45. But nice. they, they, in it, they're, they're hard to judge too because sometimes they're really wide. And then also sometimes they go up. And then some of them just like curl all the way back down. Like that's kind of what you're looking for is those ones that go way up and then curl like all the way down to their back. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're a cool animal. And those big, like the, the, the ribs on the, on the horns, like those, those are kind of, they're like age rings. They age them that way. I think it was like every two bumps was, wasn't, was a year. Okay. Yeah. There's like, they were able to tell it's just like aging sheep i've always tried to like watch guys explain that i i can't really get it but mm -hmm. uh, yeah what size was the body like compared to like a north american animal probably about the size of a mule deer oh yeah 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 pretty oh. big animal and what was like like the fur like was it like uh long like i i, I can't remember the picture now but it was like yeah. long long yeah. hair Not pretty long yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah it's a know, like, animal probably like you know how elk get in the winter and they're all like real long and, and shaggy mm -hmm. like that's kind of what it would be like okay yeah hmm. right on yeah sorry i rambled on about that story it's just it's kind of a long story but... <laughs> oh that's perfect that's exactly what we love about podcasting because okay. once you get going on a story i can sit back and listen to people tell stories all yeah. day so um but going back to the kind of the like the whole experience like um, at, like to do an international hunt was this your first one yeah yeah, yeah. now i'm uh, i'm hooked like i want to I, I would love to go back to tajikistan one day and shoot a marco polo it's it's out of my price range right now but maybe yeah. one day um and and then even just uh 
other things too, like uh, the, the just ibex. There's lots of species of ibex, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's the one that I shot was the mid Asian. Um, when you when you go to the Pamir Mountains in Tajikistan where the Marco Polo are, that's where you're way up high. There's lots of snow. Um, there's a they're a mid Asian, but they call them the Pamir ibex, and they're they they actually get like big like their their backs are white and uh and, t- and the horns you are typically a lot more impressive in, in my opinion but and there's ones there's one in turkey they're called a bezoar they're kind of uh they're 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 brown more like and and they actually have lots of different lines of white and they're really cool too and their their horns are like black um so yeah, no, it's definitely like I it never was really on my radar. Like I really I have my kind of bucket list of things I want to do in North America, like you know, like a great big Alaskan moose or like a doll sheep or something like that. But this whole experience has kind of opened up my eyes to everything that goes on over in Asia too. So yeah. There's yeah, lots no. of stuff to do. It's like these guys they get to go do it all, they're multi-cajillionaires, which we're not. So <laughs> Not yet. White white tails around uh, tower are pretty good though. There's yeah, yeah, that's very true. And then that that entire package that you won, like was like obviously you your wife were excited, your dad was excited, but like um what would be like I don't know if this is something you talk about, but like what is that package worth? Like if I wanted to go and do that, what would I be looking at paying? Well, I I won the hunt, and I mean it still cost me like probably ten grand. Oh wow. Yeah, like it's not like it's yeah, lots of hunting is getting to be that way. It's kind of a rich man's sport, unfortunately. A lot of these hunts. Mm-hmm. Um the so so the hunt itself uh for that area and for that for that species of ibex, I, I believe it was about 10 grand US. Oh yeah. But by the time you you pay your flights, um, by the time you get the gear you want, permits uh like getting the thing home uh yeah it costs a lot of money if if there's one thing i did learn it's that if you have the opportunity to like bring back your your animal like they told me that i could bring it back on a duff in a duffel bag but they would have salted the cape they would have cut the skull cap in half and we would have put in a duffel bag and put it on as like a oversized baggage right and the reason I didn't do that was because the tax remiss was in the States. He had this broker guy in New York. And so it had to be sent to him. It probably, it probably cost me two grand just to get the thing back in, in North America. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like it's, so if you ever have the opportunity, take it mm. with you, you'll save a lot of money. There's a good tip right in itself. Yeah. Um, Tristan, you got anything else for about this, uh, overseas hunt? I have a couple of questions. I'm just gonna, I gotta rethink about them a little bit. Cause I think I forgot I was just curious what rifle you were using. Yes, when you were over that was one of my questions. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I've never been into the the whole long range shooting thing. I just I I don't know. Maybe I've never put enough time into it. But when I when I got this hunt going, I thought I thought like I I better be able to shoot at like five hundred yards. Just uh, like that's and in today's uh, today's world, that's not even long range anymore right? Mm-hmm. Guys are shooting out to 1200 yards pretty easily. Now uh, I had 
it just doesn't interest me. I don't know, whatever. But yeah. anyways, um, so I bought a new gun. I bought a Christensen Arms Mesa in a 300 Win Mag. And then actually the, the scope that Leupold sent me, uh, it was a, a VX6 HD, uh, 3 to 18 by 44. And it's got that CDS dial, like that custom dial system. And so I, like I hand load. So I, uh, I made a, made my hand load, got a, a good accurate load going. And then I, uh, I, I got a chronograph, got the velocity, um, sent in all the, all the information they need. And then they sent me back a custom dial and like, I was putting bullets within like, you know, four inch circle at like 500 yards. And I, and like the thing's pretty wow. impressive. And that's, that's about as far as I ever need to be. Like when I'm, when I'm shooting at something 500 yards away, it seems a hell of a lot further than that. Like mm-hmm. get, for these guys are like shooting at a thousand yards. That's, that's way out there. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, 300 win mag. I got And then the follow-up question on that too, you did talk to quite a few people before going on the trip. Did anybody recommend any other cartridge or like, or were you just set on the 300? Um, what, what guys did say was get a seven mil Remington Magnum or a mm-hmm. 300 Winchester Magnum because uh, like, like Ibex are pretty tough, like um, mountain goats too. Like just the Rocky mountain goat here in North America, like they have a reputation for being really tough uh, more so than sheep. Um, so they say, get like a, get a big, bigger caliber. And, uh, and, and, and the reason they said seven mil Remington Magnum or a 300 Winchester Magnum, as opposed to a seven mil PRC or a 300 Weatherby or all these other cartridges you can get is that if you were to ever lose your ammo, you can find it over there. Oh, okay. Like if That's- I have, like, I shoot a 257 Weatherby for my deer gun like good luck trying to find that ammo over there. Mm-hmm. But you know, someone with a 300 win mag or a 30 odd six, 270, something more common, you, you can probably find it somewhere. Right. So, mm-hmm. so that was, uh, that was a good recommendation that I got. So. Right. And what was the weather like over there? Like, what were you got? Like, and plus your L2 is a little bit higher. Like, was it pretty chilly? Like were you dressed up pretty good or like yeah. you said it was November, right? Yeah, it was November. It was pretty warm. Like it was like 15 degrees, like oh, yeah. 10 to 15 degrees. It was beautiful. Um, nice. Like I didn't really know that we were going to that area. Like whenever you watch, like all I'd ever seen was just like watching YouTube videos and stuff. Right. And so when you look up to Tajikistan, most of these things, these hunts that they're in, like the Pamirs where the Marco Polo are, you're at 14 to 17,000 feet. There's snow all over the place. That's, so, so we were actually, we had packed for like a, a winter hunt, you know, that's right. not at all what it was. Like I, my, I had insulated boots and, and all that. And like, we were sweating up a storm. Like we, we, we obviously shed the layers where we could, but that was the only pair of boots I brought. So I just made with what I had, but yeah. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Um, Tristan, you got anything else? I'm just wondering, did you, uh, did you get that mount back or what's, where's it at right now? Um, it's somewhere in between New York city and Bismarck right now, or it might be in Bismarck already. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be like a, like a, you know, a pedestal mount where they have like the wood base on the floor like that. It's, it's going to yeah. be like that kind of like a really hard turn. So kind of 
show off the horns. I'm yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting that home. Nice. Not many people in Manitoba have one in their house. So it'll be, it'll be a conversation starter. Yeah, for sure. And have you talked to the, your taxidermist there? Like his, has he yeah. done like, do you, have you seen pictures of other ones he's done? Like he's done. Oh yeah. Years? Yeah. He like uh, Dakota taxidermy. They're, they're pretty renowned in the States. Like a lot of guys that go on international hunts, they, they'll send their, you know, their, their African game, Cape Buffalo leopards, uh, you know, Asian Marco Polo Ibex. He, he does it all. So yeah, no, his, his work is really good. I've, I've seen his uh, mountain lions and usually you can tell a, a good taxidermist by how he does his mountain lions and they're, they're really good. So right on. Well, man, I, um, I don't want to take up all the whole night. It's already been an hour over an hour and a half now, I think. So we've got some pretty good stories for the bank, but um, before we take off, I just wanted to let you know, like, hopefully we can get you on again and talk more whitetail hunting. I mean, you seem like you're uh, quite a bit of experience and it's always good talking to, to guys around, uh, around home or in Manitoba and just shooting the shit. So hopefully we can get you on here right away quick. Um, but any last words from yourself and then we'll throw it over to Tristan for any last words. Yeah, no, um, just, yeah. Thanks for having me on. It was, it was fun to talk to you guys. Yeah, it was a blast, man. Sorry if I rambled on. I I, I know I, I talked a lot, but it was uh, it was a long story. But <laughs> stop apologizing. That's what you're here for. No, it's a good yeah. story, and uh, yeah, it just uh, it's wild. To, it's it's almost hard for me to conceive of what it would be like all the way on the other side of the world hunting uh hunting an animal like that. Probably just thinking of the sounds, the smells, and everything. It's probably just a, a little bit different than what you're used to sitting in your tree stand and. Manitoba in minus 30 or something like that so yeah pretty pretty awesome yeah 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 I was pretty fortunate to win that that raffle so awesome now you'll be putting in for those raffles all the time I do yeah I spend way too much money on that shit (laughs) well you should keep doing it you won a raffle now or you won the hunting trip you've won a Johnny Cash picture <laughs> oh that was an auction that doesn't count oh yeah i guess so <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i yeah hopefully i know a few guys that have won a, a couple different raffles like that so yeah whenever i can i put in for something like that right on hey man thanks a lot we'll uh we'll probably talk to you here in a bit right on thanks guys take care well that was episode 144 with will sakura um Another great episode, and the cool thing about it is it's very local, and a lot of the places that he was trying to explain and stuff is uh, almost in my backyard, so it's kind of nice to get those people on that are very local and especially close to, like, the Brandon area. It's kind of refreshing. Um, after listening to that podcast there, boys, are you guys excited to do some hunting this fall? Or, like, I know uh, draws are coming up. Do you guys have any loose plans yet? I can't wait to get to Kajikistan because that's, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've always wondered too about putting in on one of those draws and then we'll explain it pretty succinctly there. Like you still got to pay to get there and have all your gear and stuff like that. So, but yeah, maybe one day, one day in the distant, not too far future, but yeah, I think fall wise right now, we're just, I'm just looking at like, how can I maximize my time out in the field? So it might just be a lot of shorter day trips and not as many like big, long kind of camp sessions, which I'm going to miss, but I keep right. telling myself one day I will get back to the camp lifestyle. 
Yeah. What about you, yeah. Chaser? I have uh, been having some conversations with Stanky, and he's been bugging me to come on a moose hunt, so I might do that. Um, we'll see. He said he's, he needs a, a fourth for his uncle or something. Somebody's coming. Um, kind of like his last hunt kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So you're just going to um, give him on the Weir River? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to the Weir. And then, uh, but I'll probably also put him for elk. And uh, I drew last year, so I don't know if I'll draw this year. But uh, one of my buddies was telling me his father-in-law drew like three years in a row. So I was like, well, maybe I might get lucky. We'll see. Yeah. Um, now that your kids are getting a little bit, you know, a little bit older and stuff, are you finding a little bit more relief that you can get out hunting it? Like, I mean, like last year, I guess, is you, you're out a few times, but they're getting a little bit older. Do you find that as a one of the family men of the podcast? To, to take them out? No, no, no. Just to like get out, like just now that they're a little bit older, you have more, a little bit more time to get out on your own and do these draws and stuff for, this is still pretty time consuming for anybody that's listening that has young kids like Tristan. Um, <laughs> look forward to you. Yeah. The kids are pretty much full bore from like 7 a.m. till 8 p.m. when they go to bed. So from when they wake up to when they go to bed, they're, they're like pretty in need of it, of like, water all the time or something so it's it's a lot there but um the our saving grace is having grandparents close by so and that's yeah i mean having them at that age where they can they're they are a little bit more self-sufficient um and you know they they're not sometimes they're not as as uh as uh um needy i guess as obviously they would have been as as babies so yeah. Well, there you go, Tristan. You got a, you know, three or four more years and you can start planning camp slowly and talking nice to your partner. And yeah. The cool thing is though, they're already like bugging me to like go camping and, and deck the last two days has been like, let's go camping in the snow. And I was like, well, I don't like, we're not going camping in the snow right now. Sorry, bud. And he's like, well, let's and go. He's like, not camping, like go camping to the spot that we've been to before which is like a little cabin that we've stayed in oh yeah up in hecla and uh i was like oh this is actually not a bad idea we can probably find a little cabin or something to go go yeah. camping in in the snow so he's eager to get out which is put some uh got my blood warmed up a little bit to the thought of it so that's cool yeah you have a hunting partner outdoors partner <clears throat> sooner than you know it how would you show it happen um, like I was talking to my dad, they're ice fishing and he was talking about putting in for an archery elk draw. Um, and I think I'm going to do the same, but I think I'm going to put in around like that area 30. So around home kind of thing, mm-hmm. there's a couple good herds there. Um, and if not, I, I don't know if I'll, I want to put in for that ashen area, but at the same time, I I'll need more support than just myself. So I know mm-hmm. if you were chase can't go, it's be hard for me to elk hunt kind of by myself in that area 30. Um, I know the area a lot better, so I'd feel more comfortable, but that Ashen area, <laughs> I've been in there by myself. I lost five alcohols. I got turned around and lost for a while. It's just a little bit more stressful. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's your lucky spot. I never know. Yeah. And then for moose hunting, like I, I want to go up North and go moose hunting again. Um, obviously they'll probably have a conservation license and hopefully it's not, well, I guess it is a draw, but we'll, uh, so we'll see how that all shakes out and hopefully get it tag for summer or go farther up north and buy an over-a-counter one but 
Makes sense. We'll see. Makes sense. I got a good friend there in, in Churchill named Parker, and he keeps bugging me to come up to check out the trap line and do all this other stuff. So I'm actually contemplating maybe going up in April for a for a sled ride in. Um, at that time, it's they, they're not trapping by that time, but they're moving in supplies and stuff. And while they can, all the trails good. So I might scoot up to Churchill for a few days and and uh, and check that out. I think that'd be a cool little adventure. Be very Those are my cool plans. Time. Yeah. And then March Madness right around the corner. So totally. Well, it's not Kajikistan, but church will be very cool. But yeah. uh, if you're uh, listening along, I'd like to thank you for listening. And if we don't catch you on the ice, on the water, or in the woods, I guess, yeah, it's going to be water season soon. So that's fair. Um, we'll wish you well. Keep those lines tight, those blades sharp, and keep the, your feet uncomfortably hot. Does that work? That'll work. I guess I'll catch you next time.